Well, good morning. What's up? Yeah, a little funk to get you going this morning. Hey, y'all doing all right? All right, let me ask this. I want to see who's really spiritual here. Who went to the Blue Ridge Prom last night and you came to worship this morning? Anybody? Are you serious? Stand up. Let's give this man $100. I don't have 100 bucks, but if I had it, I would give it to him. All right. Good job. You really went to the... You're not messing with me, Greg, are you? Uh, he can ask the people. He, he's going to get some uh, witnesses. That's awesome. Very good. Uh, the, pro, the prom was last night. We got a lot of our kids go to Blue Ridge, and I pr- pray all of them were safe and everything, and uh, they're sleeping this morning. I'm going to tell you, in Bob Marshall's house where I grew up, you went to the prom, I was at Sunday school. And I, not just church, 945, my daddy was like, yeah, you can stay out as late as you want, but 945, you're going to be in Sunday school, and you're going to be awake, right? So... Things was different back then. So, hey, I'm so glad all of y'all are here today. We're, uh, we're finishing up our series. Hey, let me remind you of one thing. If you're a partner, if you're, you've partnered with this church, it's what we call our members, we call them partners, and that's a whole different discussion. You can come to a partnership class and learn about that. But if you're a partner, remember, we have a, a quick partnership meeting right at the end of the service. So when, you're do- when, uh, when we're done, you can just stay put. If you've got responsibilities to get kids or whatever, you can go get those and then come right back here. And just some family kind of stuff we need to discuss as, uh, as partners. So remember, that's right afterwards. And also, if this is your first Sunday here, we're really glad you're here. And we would love for you to fill out on your sheet that you were handed when you came in. There's a place down there you can write some information about who you are. And uh, that, that's perforated, so you can tear that off. You tear that off and, and hand that to someone at our welcome table. They've got a gift they want to give you just to say thanks for showing up. And, uh, and it's just a way for us to know who you are and glad you're here today. And we won't, um, we won't come by your house uninvited or anything like that. Now, if you invite us, we will come. Um, but not uninvited, we won't come. All right? Because I don't like uninvited people coming to my house. So I'm sure you don't like uninvited people. Does anybody like uninvited people coming to their house? Yeah, nobody likes that, right? All right. Vicky does. Yeah, all right, Vicky, I'll come to your house this afternoon. How about 6 a.m. tomorrow? I'll be at your house. That'll be a good one. Hey, uh, she won't be up. Is that what you said? Hey, uh, we're really glad you're here. We're going we're gonna to jump back into what we've done the last few weeks. Now, we, um, we, uh, we've been talking about how to be free indeed and talking about that that's the mission of our church. Now, some of you who, um, who know me or have spent much time talking to me or heard me teach, you know that when I was growing up, I really liked wrestling a lot, or uh, wrestling is the way we used to call it back then. Because, um, see, wrestling is what they do in high school, and it's like a real sport. Wrestling is when you dress up in costumes, and you come out to music, and you, you, know, and you use chairs to beat people with and all that stuff. There's a big difference between the two. But I was a big wrestling fan growing up, and uh, every Saturday morning I would watch Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Uh, you know, it came on right about lunchtime as cartoons were ending, and you're getting ready to eat lunch before you go outside to play for the rest of the day. I'd, while I was eating lunch, I'd watch Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling with Bob Cottle would be announcing it, you know. And, and it was in this little studio. And there was all kind of great wrestlers that I liked back then. But, you know, one kind of wrestling match that I really enjoyed then was tag team wrestling. And, uh, you know, tag team is where you got two teams of two guys. And supposedly only one is supposed to be in the ring at a time. Right, and then they tag, and the other one gets in. But you know, the really good teams, they'd find a way to double team up on somebody and beat a dude down in the corner while the referee was being distracted or whatever. And so there was a lot of tag teams. I liked uh, one of the tag teams I liked was the Rock and Roll Express. I think we got a picture. Remember the Rock and Roll Express? Yeah, 
Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, you know, and Ricky Morton would do all the talking, and Robert Gibson would just stand there and do this at the end. He'd do that, and then they'd walk off. And then, uh, you know, and then you had the Russians, who everybody hated the Russians. I mean, they just, that still scares me today to look at that, right? And by the way, Nikita Koloff, the big one right there, he got saved, and he, like, goes around and preaches and stuff now, which is pretty cool. But everybody hated them. They were the evil tag team because it was the 80s, and we all hated Russia, and they would come out and say bad stuff about America and all that stuff. And then you had these guys, who I think is the greatest tag team of all time, the Road Warriors. Anybody remember those guys? Now, that right there is scary. You'd have bad dreams about those guys right there. And, uh, and I'm sure they didn't use any steroids at all, right? So... Uh, but these guys, but that, that, was, that was the kind of wrestle matches I like, the tag team wrestle matches. You have those great ones. And like I said, they would, the, the really good ones, they would find a way to double up on one guy. Because in pra- if, if you're being practical, if you have two guys fighting one guy, the two guys should win, shouldn't they? It's just, that's just kind of the way it works. And, and we've been talking for the last few weeks about how you can tell your friends about Jesus. We've been talking about what the mission of this church is, that the mission is to help people discover the true freedom only Christ can give, and that that all of us want to share the message how people can be spiritually free. And I talked with you two weeks ago about how we do that through actions, and we talked about compassionate service, and we talked about joyful attitude, and how those speak louder than words. And then last week, we talked about that, that you need to share your words, that you share your story with your people. You talk about what Jesus has done for you, and you share it with the people that you already know. And, and so there might be some of you that are sitting here that over the last couple of weeks, you've started to feel some pressure because you, you've never really been challenged to tell someone about Jesus before. And you come here and week after week, I'm telling you, man, we got to tell these people about Jesus. We got to help them be spiritually free. And you're starting to feel like, I, I just don't think I can do this. And maybe you're starting to feel like you're all alone. And that, and that you're, you're out there by yourself. And what I want you to know today is that you are not alone. And what I want to talk about today is how we can team up. How what happens here on Sunday morning and what you do in your everyday life, that we can tag team like the great road warriors or the Russians or the Rock and Roll Express. We want to team up with you and tag team to help you tell your friends about who Jesus is. There, there's a lot of uh, scriptural basis for, for the fact of people working together for spiritual things. Look at Ecclesiastes 4.9. Just look on the screen at Ecclesiastes 4.9. It says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Now, that's just practical, isn't it? If you have two people, it doesn't matter what the job is. If it's telling someone about Jesus, if it's cutting the grass, if it's painting a porch, if it's grocery shopping, whatever the job is, if you have two people that both know what they're doing and they're both working hard at it, that job's going to get done faster and more efficiently than it will if you're doing it by, by yourself. That's just practical. And, and the good thing is, at the end of that job, let's say it's cutting the grass, and, and, and you've got two people working on that job, at the end of it, when you're done, both people have more energy left over to go do another job, because they didn't have to put out all the effort themselves. And it's the same when we're telling our friends about Jesus. If we can tag team, if what's happening here at Freedom can team up with what you're doing in your everyday life, it's going to be much more effective way to help you tell your friends about who Christ is. Jesus used the exact same principle. Luke 10:1. Look at what Jesus did. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. 
So Jesus knew he had some places he was going to be, and instead of sending these people out on their own, he said, y'all tag up, tag team, go together, and you're going to go all to these places. Then you can support one another, you can encourage one another. When one person wants to give up, the other one tells them they've got to keep going. You can, if one person, there's a question you can't answer, someone else can answer it. And so they tagged up to, to go tell these people about who Jesus was and what he wanted to do in their lives. Now, the way that our lives are today... Going two by two everywhere to tell someone about Jesus isn't really practical. If, if you're applying for a job and, and, and they interview you and they hire you and you show up on the first day of work and you got someone with you and they say, who is this? You say, oh, this is my buddy that goes everywhere I go to tell people about Jesus. He's going to be working here too. That doesn't work, will it? That, that'll be your first day and your last day on that job. They'll be sending you home because they're going to think you're insane. So even though you can't have someone with you all the time to tell people about Jesus, you can team up with what we're doing here, and we want to team up with what you're doing. We want to partner together with you to help you tell your friends about who Jesus is. And in just a minute, what I want to do is I'm going to tell you three practical ways of what we do here on Sunday morning, of why we're doing this, and how it should be helping you to tell your friends about Jesus. But before I tell you those three ways, I want everybody to turn to the book of Acts. If you've got your Bible, the New Testament, the book of Acts is the fifth book of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen. Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, and I'm going to read 42 through 47. Let me just start off by reading it to you, and then I'll explain... I'll explain the context of it after I read it a little bit, all right? Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now let me give you a little context of what's going on in Acts chapter 2 here. You'll remember at the end of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels, which means what? We talked about it. Good news. At the end of the Gospels, that uh, Jesus, he is, he's crucified, and then he comes back to life, he's resurrected, and, uh, and then he's on earth for about 30 or 40 days, it tells us, and he's doing some more teaching and giving some final instructions to his followers. He even performs some more miracles there. And so that, that's the way the Gospels end. Well, in the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus is still there, and he gives some more final instructions, and then it tells us that he ascended into heaven. Now, what that looked like, I don't know, but somehow he was here, and then he went into heaven, and everyone saw it happening, and they were amazed, and they were standing there looking around and, and watching that, and then, uh, and then they decided it was time to get to work. And so all these guys and ladies who had been following Jesus around they were his disciples. And then you had the, the 11 who used to be 12. Now it was 11 that they called the apostles. And uh, those are guys like Peter, James, and John, and Thomas, and Matthew, some of those you've heard of. And so these guys, they started meeting together and decided, okay, what do we do now? And, and as they were doing that, the, there, was this, there was this day called the Day of Pentecost 
which, uh, which I believe is today, actually, on the, on the calendar. Today is actually the day of Pentecost. And, uh, and while, they were, while they were at this traditional Jewish holiday of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he preaches a five-minute sermon. And at the end of his five-minute sermon, 3,000 people get saved and they get baptized that one day. Now, that's, that, I've been to some revival services at church, but that, nothing compares to that right there. A five-minute sermon, 3,000 people say, I need Jesus, and they get baptized right at that moment. That's pretty sweet. And so that's what happens. And so then what, what we just read there in chapter 2 is kind of a summary of everything that's going on. It's a summary of this is how things were. And when we read that, it, we read it and, and we, we can see how this picture of the first church, this was the first Christian church, and we can see and we read that and we think, man, that is such a great church. When, when I read it, I think that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And, and, and as you read it, you notice that there's just this great picture of togetherness. I mean, because it has words in there, words in there like fellowship, and it says that they were together. It says they had everything in common. It says they met together every day. So it's just, it's just this great picture. And in fact, it was such a unique situation that it was the first use of a Greek word in the New Testament. There's a Greek word that's used there called koinonia. And that's how it's spelled right there, koinonia. And, uh, and not that you want to go to work tomorrow and impress your friends that you know Greek. But, but, that's, but koinonia is translated as fellowship. And so it says there in, in verse 42 when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, that's the word is koinonia that's being used. Now, I grew up in a Baptist church. And where I grew up in a Baptist church, fellowship meant fried chicken and potato salad. That's what that meant. And deviled eggs, right? Because oh, we're going to have a fellowship after the service. And so, man, that was some good eating, Right? And, uh, and you know, there was always fried chicken and, you know, we're going to have a fellowship meal. And so it always, fellowship seemed to mean, you know, hanging around with each other, eating, and sometimes a volleyball game or softball game would break out in the middle of it. And that was fellowship, right? And so when we read the word fellowship, that's kind of what we think of sometimes. But listen, the word fellowship in the Bible means so much more than that. The word fellowship in the Bible is talking about a single focus, a single-mindedness that comes from being focused on one mission. The fellowship that grew up among the first Christians was because all of them understood that Jesus had just told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other, other parts of the earth. And so they were gathered together because they were focused on this one thing. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do what Jesus wants us to do? That's why 3,000 people got saved on that day. The Holy Spirit moved in that place because there was a single-mindedness of purpose. The people were all together, not to eat fried chicken, but they were all together to how do we tell our friends about who Jesus is. And so when we read this passage of Scripture, this is such a, it's, it's a great passage, but I believe sometimes... Now listen to me on this. Don't, don't shut me out when you hear me say this. Sometimes it can be a dangerous passage of Scripture. Let me tell you what I mean. It's dangerous when it gets in the wrong hands, and it's dangerous when someone reads it out of context. Do you know what reading a passage of Scripture out of context is? It's where you don't know what happened before it, and you don't know what happened after it. And you just pull out these five verses, and you say, here, this is what it should be like. And, and I, I'll just tell you something. 
You can make the Bible support just about anything you want it to support if you pull verses out of context. I've heard people take verses to, uh, to make it look like slavery is a good thing, and they've taken Bible verses to say that. I've heard people take verses out to make it sound like homosexuality is not a sin, and they've used Bible verses to do that. I've heard people take Bible verses to support just about any agenda that they have. But when you read the Bible in context, you will see that it all works together, and it never contradicts itself. And when you take this passage of Scripture out of context, when you pull these five verses, and you don't know what happened before them and you happen after them, this is what tends to happen. People read that and they say, that's the kind of church I want to be in, and this church I'm in now isn't like that, so I'm leaving this church. Or that church I was in before, they were not like that at all, so that's why I left that church. And I know people that have dropped out of church altogether because they say, you know what? Until I find a church that's like the New Testament church, I'm not going anymore. Now, what those idiots of those people have, what those people have never thought to think about is this. When they were in church, they weren't living like this anyway. They weren't selling all their possessions and giving them to the poor. They weren't eating together every day. They weren't devoted to the apostles' teaching. So they weren't even doing it when they were there. But they want to blame the church and say, that's not for me because that's not like the, first, the New Testament church. That's not like the first church that existed after Jesus went back into heaven. And so when you pull these verses out of context, what you get is you can make yourself think that the purpose of the first church was drawing a big crowd and then taking care of each other. There were 3,000 people, and then if you just read these five verses, it looks like all they did was they just sat around loving on each other. Here, I'll sell my iPod so that you can have something to eat. You sell your car so I can have a place to live, and we'll just all hang out together, and it'll just be a big love fest. That's what it looks like if you read this out of context. But if you begin to continue reading the book of Acts, what you see is after Acts chapter 2, there's 26 more chapters in the book of Acts. And you know what happens in those 26 chapters? Story after story of people telling others about Jesus, of people serving other people, taking the message to other countries. There was the, the, the gospel was preached in courtrooms and in jail cells and standing on street corners and in the marketplace and places where people came to buy groceries. Everywhere they went, they took this message wherever they went. And see, what happens is sometimes in churches... And I'm not thinking about any specific church. I'm not throwing a stone at any church that's out there. But you know that it's true. What happens sometimes in churches is churches get so focused on fellowship and not the biblical version of fellowship, but the fellowship I was talking about earlier. And pretty soon they're so focused on what can we do? We need to plan more events so we can be together. We need to plan something else so that every night of the week we can eat together and we can hang out because I like y'all and you like me and let's all be together. And pretty soon this church, their mission becomes fellowship. And so what happens when your mission is fellowship, then the natural result of that is you want more fellowship and more fellowship. And it's like you're addicted to crack or something. You can't get enough of it. And even, even though you're, and, and, and then you don't want anyone else to come into the fellowship because they might mess up this little circle we've got going but what happened in the new testament was so so different from that see real fellowship leads to service and fellowship that doesn't lead to service turns into selfishness fellowship that doesn't lead to service turns into selfishness if you're hanging out with a bunch of christians at a church or a life group or whatever it is or even a bible study at where you work 
And if all the, the only purpose of that is just for the, all of y'all to be together and make each other feel good, and you're never doing anything for anyone else, you're never trying to expand the group by telling someone else about Jesus, you're never trying to feed someone or give someone a place to sleep or any of those kinds of things, pretty soon you're just sitting around looking at each other and thinking about how great you are, and it's all about you. Now here's what's ironic about all that. If you're involved in real fellowship, um, if, you're really, if you're really serving people, you'll find out that real fellowship comes out of serving people. Ask anyone who's helped out at Back to School Bash or Relay for Life or Vacation Bible School or Halloween Hoopla. Ask anybody about those experiences. Chances are they will tell you about a relationship they built while they were working at that event. They'll probably tell you about, yeah, before I helped out at Halloween Hoopla, I didn't even know this family over here. But they were there and we were setting up together or after it was over, we were walking down Trade Street picking up trash together and I got to know this person because we were serving together. And so fellowship grew up out of service instead of the other way around where a lot of times, you know, we just want to be together and then maybe we'll think about serving someone. But if we start with the service, if we start with telling someone else about Jesus, then it will grow into the fellowship that we need. Now, as a pastor, and as the pastor of this church, I read Acts chapter 2, and I really want that for our church. I would love for that to be the case. I would love for the fact that, that there'd be no one here who would ever be late on a payment on their house and it wouldn't be because they called the office and we got money out of the budget, but because people around here said, I know this guy and I'm a friend of his, I'm going to sell my motorcycle so that they can pay for their house payment this month. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell my boat so they can do this. I would love if we were feeding people that were hungry and feeding each other when we were hungry. And, and I would love for all that to be the case. And I would love for there to be a strong fellowship. But that's only going to happen if all of us are committed to helping people discover true freedom in Jesus. See, true freedom happens when we have a single focus, when we were all moving in the same direction. Now, I hope what happens on Sunday mornings here is good for you. If you're a follower of Christ, I hope you come here and it's encouraging for you or you enjoy the music and, and you can walk out of here thinking, man, it was a good experience. I got to talk to some of my friends and, and it, it was a good thing for me. But we need to remember that what we do here on Sunday morning is not just for us. If you're a follower of Christ, it's not just for you. In fact, it's designed a lot of times uh, to, not to offend you or anything like that, but it's designed for people that aren't in church. Our focus, if you come to our partnership class, one of the things we talk about there is this church exists for the people that aren't yet here. This church exists for those that are outside the walls. And, and that's, why, that's why we do what we do every Sunday morning. If, if tomorrow morning I woke up and God came to me in a vision and he said, Cliff, no one who's unsaved will ever get saved again at Freedom Fellowship, next Sunday I'd shut it down. We'd walk in and I'd say, it's over. And you'd say, but Cliff, we like it. And I'd say, God's told me nobody else is going to get saved. It's over. Because it's not for us. It's for the people who need Jesus, right? And so that's why it's important that we team up together to tell them. So what happens here on Sunday morning isn't just for you. It's for the other folks that aren't here yet. And that's why, that's where I'm talking about us tag teaming, us teaming up together. And let me tell you three specific ways, three things that we're attempting to do here so that it will make it easier for you 
to tell your friends about who Jesus is. The first one, they all start with E. I got lucky this week, and I was able to do like an old-timey preacher and make all my points start with the same letter, okay? So this might be easy for you to remember. They all start with E. The first one is environment. Environment. We want to be sure that this is an environment here on Sunday mornings where you feel comfortable bringing someone who doesn't go to church. You feel comfortable bringing a lost person. Now, let me, let me make a statement here, uh, and, and just so we can kind of get something out of the way that, that's, a, that's a point of contention sometimes. There is no style of worship that is more spiritual than another. There's no style of worship that is the most spiritual. There, we, we're not doing this because we think we're better morally than a church that does traditional worship, okay? We're, we're not, I, I'm not wearing flip-flops today because Jesus wore flip-flops, and so me and Jesus are, are better off than the guy who's wearing wingtips this morning preaching. The, a, a piano and organ isn't on a higher spiritual plane than a, than a guitar and a drum set. And, and, and blue jeans and an untucked shirt, it doesn't allow me to speak the truth of God to you better than someone who's wearing a three-piece suit. So style of worship doesn't matter when it comes to whether it's spiritual or whether it's more godly or not. What we have done, though, we've created this environment intentionally because we think that it will appeal most of all to the people who aren't yet coming to church. We want this to be a relaxed environment in terms of how you dress so that if someone doesn't have nice clothes, they don't feel like they've got to go buy a suit to come to church. We want it to be a modern environment in terms of the way the music and things like that sound so that when they come in, even if they don't know the song, they might can say, it kind of sounds like something I heard on the radio this week. And we want it to be a relevant environment in terms of what the teaching is. So that when I stand up here and talk, I reference Rock and Roll Express and the Road Warriors because I think that maybe that will make a connection with somebody, not because they're spiritual at all, all right? And so, so we've tried to create an environment that will encourage the 70% of the upstate residents who aren't involved in church. It will encourage them to come here. And it will encourage you, as their friends, to invite them here. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but chances are, if you're a follower of Christ, you have been involved in a church where you were uncomfortable bringing a lost person. I've been there. I've been involved in a church where I thought, man, if I ask someone just off the street that has no church background, if I invite them to this church, they're not going to be able to make a connection there at all. There's nothing there that they can connect with. And maybe you've been in a church like that. We want this to be a church to where you could bring a lost person, and even though they might not understand everything I'm talking about, they might not believe the Bible, at least they can walk in and feel comfortable in terms of how they're dressed and in terms of what the music sounds like and other things like that. And so uh, that's, that's what we're trying to create. Donnie had a funny situation happen to him recently where he was talking to a person who's on staff at another church. I'm not going to tell you the church, but he was talking to this person. They're on staff there. And they got to talking to Donnie about a man they know who's never been in church and needs to be in church, needs Jesus. And this person on staff in another church said to Donnie, said, I can't really invite them to come to our church. Maybe you can invite them to come to your church. Because this person had told this, this, this person that was on staff, this, this, this guy who's not in church, he told this person on staff, he said, I can't come to your church because I don't have anything to wear. And he felt like he would have to go pay 250 bucks for a new suit 
before he could show up. And, and when I heard that, it didn't make me think that that church was stupid or anything else, but it made me happy that we've created an environment that someone else would recognize and say, you know what, a lost person might be comfortable at your church. Now, you might say, Cliff, you're not supposed to come to church to be comfortable. God's supposed to convict you. Absolutely right. God is supposed to convict you. But, it's, but he's not supposed to convict you over what you wear. You can show up here wearing, where's Blake? Blake has on cut-off Blake didn't know I was going to do this, but Blake has on cut-off blue jeans today that, that look so like 1972 or whatever. You can come wearing jorts, right? Cut-off jeans, jean shorts. You can come wearing jorts like Blake, and, and that's, that part you'll be comfortable with. Now, when I start talking about sin and people going to hell and needing Jesus, yeah, then they might start to feel uncomfortable, and that's okay. We're okay with that. But what I'm not okay with is someone feeling uncomfortable when they walk in the door because of what they're wearing or not wearing. So we've tried to create an environment where you can invite your lost friends to come here. Now the second thing, that uh, second E that, that we're trying to do to tag team with you is effort. Effort. See, we believe there should be no wasted Sundays. There should be no wasted Sundays. There's never a week where when I'm preparing the message, I say to myself, you know what, it doesn't really matter this week. I'm just going to get up there and make it up. No one's probably going to be there. Every single week, what I teach, what the band has prepared, what our greeting team is ready to do, what our children's workers and preschool workers are ready to do, what our setup teams are ready to do, every single week, we prepare as if this might be the last Sunday that we ever worship again. We want to give our maximum effort, our absolute best effort. And so as we tag team with you, you can know when you bring a friend here, you can know that we're putting forth our best effort and it, and it might be good. Now, I'm not saying it'll be perfect. We make mistakes all the time. I'm not saying that, that, when we, that you can be guaranteed that when we get here, there's never going to be any kind of glitch, that I'm never going to forget what I'm saying, that I'm never going to mess up, that there's never going to be a problem with the band or the sound setup or the, the preschool setup. I'm not saying it'll be perfect. But what I'm saying to you is we're going to give our best effort. Now, let me say this to you. This is not about putting on a show, Okay. So if, if you're thinking to yourself, oh yeah, they're just trying to put on a show and impress everybody and you know, when the band gets up here, it's all about them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you're saying that, you've never talked to anybody that participates up here. Because these folks up here, I, I can guarantee you, every week, their desire, we pray about it before we get up there. They pray about it on practice on Thursday night. Their desire is to exalt Jesus and not themselves. Their desire is to point people to God and not to themselves. So it's not about putting on a show, but what it is about, it's about giving our best effort because I believe God deserves our best effort. Now, if you grew up in church, just admit, you've been to some bad church services, haven't you? I mean, it's okay to say that. You've, you've sat there and listened to someone sing a solo, and as they were singing, you thought they might be in some kind of pain or something because the voice that was... And, and then as you listened to them, you were certain that you were in pain before it was all over with, right? I mean, you, you've been in those situations. Now, when that happens, everybody is uncomfortable. 
And that's not the kind of environment you want, you want to bring a lost person in, into. I, I've sat through some messages where I am certain the pastor got up, took his Bible, and just read something and just started talking off the cuff because he didn't have time to prepare that week. And maybe you have too. That's not maximum effort. We want to give maximum effort every single week. And we're not going to be perfect. But you can be guaranteed that if we feel like that there's a section of our church that's not giving maximum effort, if there's a person that's not giving maximum effort, you can be guaranteed that it will be addressed. I will say something. We'll figure out how to handle it. We'll talk to that person about how they can do better in that area because we want to give maximum effort as we tag team to try to reach lost people. And then the last E is this, encouragement. Encouragement. Your job, what I've asked you to do over the last couple weeks of going out and telling your friends about Jesus, that's not an easy job. I know it's not easy. Asking you to go into the place where you work and not just see it as the place where you spend eight, nine hours a day, but to see it as your mission field, to see it as the place where you want to try to share Jesus with everyone there, that's not an easy job. I understand that. And what we want to give you when you come here week after week is we want to give you some encouraging words. We want to send you out of here believing that you can do what God has made you to do. I know that when you get ready to speak those words to someone, you feel just fear in the pit of your stomach. And I know that, that when, you, when you get ready to... To, uh, to go to work sometimes, you think, man, I hope nobody asked me about Jesus today because I don't think I can tell them about that. And I want to encourage you week after week to keep at it when it's difficult to tell anyway. When, when, when you're having trouble with your boss, to continue to pray for him or her and so that, so that maybe you can have a chance to share. And so we want this to be a place of encouragement for you. We want to create an environment where you can bring lost people. We want to give maximum effort so when you bring them here that it's, it's a, a place you can be proud of. And then we want to encourage you to continue to invite them and continue to tell them. See, I believe that the message of spiritual freedom that, that you can only be forgiven of your sin through Jesus, you can only be set free from sin through Jesus, I believe that that's the most important message in the world. It's, it's so important that, that it, it, it just dwarfs everything else in comparison. There's a lot of messages that people are, are shouting out today, and they're good ones. Saving the earth, I'm cool with that. Getting in shape and losing weight, I'm cool with that. All those are good things. But if you're, not, if you're not set free spiritually, none of that other stuff matters. It's the most important message there is. It's so important that Jesus died for it. Jesus died to make it possible. That's how important it was, and it is. And that important message has been entrusted to us. It's been entrusted to you and me for us to share it with somebody else. And you don't have to do it alone. We want to tag team with you to create an environment, to give maximum effort, to give you the encouragement to where you can bring your friends here and they can hear the gospel. We want to be part of your arsenal of what it takes to tell your friends about Jesus. Now, I, I just made fun of preachers a while ago who stand up and just make it up off the cuff, and I'm going to be completely transparent and honest with you here. 
This is normally the part of the message where I start concluding things, and I usually have a conclusion with notes written out, and I know what I'm going to say. And for whatever reason, as I was preparing this, I just kept, nothing would come, and I would pray about it, and nothing would come. And I was praying about it last night, and I kind of had an idea. But there's some things that I feel like I want to say, but I'm not supposed to know if I'm supposed to say them, so I'm just going to start talking here at the end, all right? And, uh, and I'm praying that, w- that what God wants said will be said. But, but here's what I'm thinking. And, and I guess if, you, if, you're, if this is your first Sunday here, this probably doesn't apply to you, what I'm about to say. But if you're a, a partner, and if you're a person that's been coming to freedom a long time and have never partnered, this is coming right at you and at me. I think we've gotten a little bit lazy, freedomites. I think we've gotten a little bit lazy. There was a time when, I rem- when, when every week people were coming to me and saying, I'm inviting this person to come here. I'm trying to tell this person about Jesus. There was a time when every week someone was introducing. Now, someone introduced me to a friend that was here with them the first time today, so, so that's good. But there was a time when that was happening every single week hey, this is my friend, I work with them, I live next to them, I've been trying to get them to come, I've been telling them about Jesus, here they are. And just to be completely honest with you, that hasn't been happening as much the last, really about the last year, about the last six months. And I think we've gotten a little bit lazy. And I think we've gotten, Freedomites, I think we've gotten a little bit comfortable with just the way things are. You look around, there's, there's about 300 people here. That's pretty good. And especially some of you that remember when it was like 20 people, you see 300 and you're like, dude, we've made it. This is awesome. And I would be satisfied with 300 people if there were no more lost people outside these doors. But we know that 70% of the people outside of these doors don't go to church anywhere on Sunday morning. We know that they need Jesus. And we know that if they die without Jesus, they go to hell. And it's a real place. And it's really bad. And you never get out of it. And I think we've gotten a little bit lazy in having a passion to tell people about Jesus. And I've been praying a prayer every morning since about the middle of March. Every morning... For that long, I've been praying that God would break my heart for lost people and that God would break the heart of our elders for lost people. I pray for our elders by name, that prayer, every morning. And I've been praying that he would break the heart of everybody who calls this church their church, that they would break our heart for lost people. Because I think we're, I think we're thinking on too small of a level. If 70% of upstate residents don't go to church anywhere then we ought to be embarrassed if there's only 300 people coming. And we ought to be doing something about it, all that we can. And I know you might be thinking, okay, Cliff, tell us what to do. I just did for the last three weeks. We're not going to launch a program. We're not going to go out and teams and and go door to door and tick people off that way. Tell your story to your people. If all of us do that, we've got enough lost friends that this place should be full next week. And I want us to be passionate, and I'm praying that we'll be passionate. And I think we ought to expect big things. 
We're baptizing people in July. And I'm praying for a, for a lot of people to be baptized that day. And I'm not going to tell you the number. And the reason I'm not is because some of you would think I'm stupid. And uh, that's okay. You think I'm stupid anyway. I'm all right with that. But, uh, but, I don't, I don't, but the other thing is, is I don't want some of you to think, okay, we've got to get that number to make Cliff happy. But I want you to begin to pray that we'll have people saved, that we'll have a chance to share the gospel, and that we'll see big things happen at that baptism in July. And I think we ought to start expecting bigger things for this church. Now, one thing I do have written down in my conclusion that I want to tell you is this, because I believe this. I believe that if, if we do all we can, talking about the folks that get the service together here every week, if we do all we can, and if you do all you can when it comes to sharing Jesus in your places of business and in, in your neighborhoods, we know that God's going to do all He can. And if those three things happen... I think we can expect some big things to, to, to show up. We can expect some big results. We can expect 3,000 people to get saved and baptized like happened in Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I, if I were to ask you today, who believes that 3,000 people could get saved and baptized in one day? I think we all want to raise our hand, but then when we start thinking about, well, how would we make that happen? Let's see, we'd have to have a big mail out, and, uh, and then we'd have to bring in a guest evangelist, and, uh, and we'd have to bring in a better band than what we got, even though they're great. You know, We start thinking about all these ways we want to make it happen. 3,000 people could get saved and baptized if God decides to do it, and if we are together in fellowship, single-minded focus on telling people about Jesus. All right, I want us to pray. Now, I feel like I've lost some of you, and you think I've lost my mind. Maybe I have, all right? I'm cool with that. But let's pray. Band's going to come on up, and we're going to pray. Father God, I desperately want you to do big things in this community for the gospel. Lord, I know that there are a lot of folks out there that understand what I'm feeling and they agree with me that Lord we will never be happy with maintaining the status quo spiritually Lord we want to see thousands of people accept you we want to baptize thousands of new believers and then watch them tell all their friends Lord I pray you would break my heart I pray you'd break the heart of everybody in this room for the lost people of this community I pray we would put aside all of our little things that seem so important to us. We put aside our preferences about, about music and put aside our preferences about the version of the Bible that we read and we put aside all that stuff that seems to divide us and we would all be united and, and focused completely on telling other people about the fact that you died for them and you provide the only way they can be saved. Lord, we've gotten lazy. And we need you to kick us in the rear ends and get us back on track telling people about who you are and trying to transform this community for you. Start that in my heart, Lord. Start that in the heart of our elders. Start that in the heart of our volunteers. And Lord, I pray you would do that work in all of our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.